Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ijma'in. Welcome home. Alhamdulillah, it's good to see everybody. Welcome back. A new week, alhamdulillah, a new Monday. Another reason to say alhamdulillah, despite all of the challenges that we've been uh, going through, personally and obviously globally. Um, you know, last night we were sitting together, a group of people here, some of the volunteers, and we're talking about what's a word a word that the last two weeks have signified or have been, uh, has encapsulated the last two weeks. And we were around the circle and there was a lot of, subhanAllah, a lot of, uh, you know, amazing reflections. Um, but one thing that I realized is about 20 people that everybody kind of had the same theme overall, right? Everyone's thinking, of course, about uh, the different challenges that are happening in the Ummah today, you know, particularly, obviously, Gaza, but then, of course, uh, elsewhere, right? There's a lot, subhanAllah, of challenges that the Ummah is facing. And um, one person said something beautifully. He said, you know, this is one of the first times that it feels like the Ummah has really put away all of its petty differences and has united on um, this sort of like Ummah vibe, to put it very, very crassly, that everyone is understanding kind of what it means. You know that we've, we've heard the Hadith kind of growing up, maybe you heard it in a khutbah or you heard it somewhere, fundraising dinner, that if the Prophet said that the Ummah is like one body, if one part of it hurts, the rest of it hurts. You guys heard that one before? So, you know, it's true. You know, if you, if you, um, if you cut your thumb really bad and it hurts, you can't focus really, even though it's just a small piece of your finger. But you can't really focus. You can't pick up things that you normally pick up because your thumb is injured. Or if you stub your toe... If you like jam it really hard against something, like your whole body stops, right? And so in those moments of pain and difficulty, uh, even though the, the, the impact is only one specific piece, the Prophet ﷺ is telling us that part of Iman is that the whole body feels it. So this, of course, is like on a macro level where we have the, uh, uh, the affliction and the occupation in, 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 in Palestine and particularly the bombardment in Gaza, but then you also have, like, whenever you see a story or whenever you see a headline or if you have a friend or a family member that you know has gone through difficulty or is going through difficulty, part of your iman is that you respond to that. There's no room in Islam for apathy. There's no room for not caring, right? The least we can do, the least we can offer to people is at least, like, our heart. You may not be able to do everything with your hand or... You know, financially, you may not be able to give as much as you want, or you may not be able or as eloquent 
to get up and speak about things as well as you like to. But at the very least, and I say least not because it's not important, but I say what's one thing we can all agree on is that our hearts, which are the center of dua, we're going to talk about dua today, our hearts can at least be connected to one another in a real way. And so I want everyone as part of this you know, experience, whether it's the entire, the past five weeks, or whether it's reading this book together, I want us all to promise ourselves one thing. I want us all to leave these gatherings committed to being a more empathetic ummah, that we actually care about each other. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'm Muslim, like this person's Muslim, but that this person now, their Islam and my Islam, regardless of, uh, you know, the differences that might be there in, you know, tribe or ethnicity or age or whatever, I care for them in a way that if, if they're frustrated, if they're upset, I, I also care for them. And I'm also frustrated on their behalf or I'm upset. Right? We celebrate our wins and we grieve and mourn our losses together. You know, when the companions saw the Prophet them cry, they'd cry. Right? They'd cry because they loved him so much that they didn't want to see him crying and then them standing there kind of like not being affected. They were affected by it. So, subhanAllah, you know, there's silver linings. And as much as we focus on things that are challenging, it's important to remind ourselves that there's growth here. So tonight, inshallah, we're going to continue. We've covered so far, in, in his book, it's three, but really, I'm going to designate it in the book that I'm working on, inshallah, the translation of this. I'm going to separate them a little bit differently. But we've covered from his, from Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam, rahimahullah, his book, three of the benefits of trial. What was the first one? Who remembers? When you get hit with a trial, what's the first benefit that you immediately pick up on? Huh? Uh, yeah, so that's part of it. There's like an overarching, it's like an M word or a meme word. Yeah, ma'rifah, good. Ma'rifah is that you come to know Allah better. And as a part of ma'rifah, obedience of Allah becomes sweeter. So number one, when you get hit with a trial, you start to come closer to Allah in the way that you know who he is. Right? Anyone who goes through a trial, they have this existential question. And part of that question is that whenever you ask a question, you're always asking somebody, right? I mean, even rhetorical questions. When we say it, why me? We're not asking the person. We're asking Allah. So everybody's asking somebody. When we ask that question about the trial or tribulation, we are directing it to Allah. We want to know. And we want to connect more to him and understand. Right? So ma'rifah. The second part of that, or the other side of that coin, is you come to be aware of your own limitations. You come to understand your own shortcomings. You know, I thought I could handle everything by myself. I thought I could take care of every situation. I thought human beings were, you know, had it in the bag. But you come to realize that's not true. As confident as I was, you know, we could, we could, we could extend this as wide or as narrow as we want. You get a small stomach bug, you can't solve that issue on your own. You can't take care of that. You got to let it pass. You got to, you know, you just got to be close to a bathroom. That's pretty much it. You know, some water, some electrolytes, and a, and a toilet. And that's pretty much all that you have in your life at that point. So that's a really small example. But it absolutely, like, incapacitates you. You can't go to work. You know, you want to eat, but you can't eat. Your entire life gets flipped upside down. Or on a macro level, when there's, like, these massive... Uh, uh, you know, geopolitical conflicts and you cry tears, like you're literally shedding tears because it's so painful to see these things happening, but you're unable to change it 
in isolation by yourself. So as much as I thought that, like, oh, man, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, like, I'm respected, or I'm wealthy, or I'm successful, or I work at Meta, I work at, you know, I was just in the Bay Area on Saturday, and every person I met, I was like, where do you work? They're like, Meta. And I was like, it got to the point where I was like, what do you do in Meta? That's how I ask people. Like, okay, I know you work at Meta, but what do you do in Meta? So, but again, it, these false sense of what? Like, you went to a good school, Harvard. MIT, blah, 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 all these places. MashaAllah, may Allah bless anyone who has any success. May he only give you more for his sake. But you realize in those situations, like that diploma doesn't mean anything. That success means nothing unless it aligns with, you know, certain situations. And so it's a reminder to us that as much as we think we're capable and we're powerful, we're really not. We understand that Allah is the most powerful, we understand Allah Ta'ala's lordship, and we understand uh, we understand the, the, the humiliation, and not like in a, in a deprecating way, but the, the humbleness of servanthood and our own brokenness. And then last week we covered ikhlas. Ikhlas means sincerity. Trials, when you go through trials, you get to find out who you really are. The, the mirror of, of your iman, like the reflective thing that you look at every morning for your faith, is how you handle your life. Trials. By the way, I also want to clarify, when scholars wrote about trials, they didn't only write that trials were things you didn't like. They also included things you liked. Things that you want are also their trials in their own way. Because a trial is essentially something that tests your faith. Bad things, Right? The sour things, the bitter things can test your faith, but also the really sweet things can test your faith too. You can decide, you know, in a moment where you were, you've been praying for something for so long. Oh Allah, give me this. Oh Allah, grant me this. Please, please, please. And then Allah gives it to you. But then after he gives it to you, you know, that thing that you were praying five times a day after each salah, you were making your dua, you were deeply connected. As soon as Allah takes away the need... And then all of a sudden the spirituality starts to dip and the productivity goes down. Okay? So you need something, you beg Allah for it, He gives what you asked. And we'll talk about this today. And then this product, what does that mean? It means that my, my iman, my faith, was not as sincere as I thought. I was like sort of in a temporary mode, I was in a, a temporary stage. So ikhlas, when Allah tests you, anytime you get tested by something, Part of the intention of that test, the wisdom of that test, is Allah is giving you more consistency in your sincerity. He's allowing you to experience consistency in that sincerity. And he says that, That it's impossible for a person to take refuge and to leave away from the difficulties that they have except to Allah. So you get tested and you look around, you look around and you keep trying option number one, two, three, four and you realize that you skipped focusing on Allah as the solution for that problem. And uh, we covered this. That That he says that when Allah Ta'ala barely grazes you, just touches you ever so gently with a trial or a difficulty, that part of the realization that we have is that there is no one who can take away that challenge except for Allah. And then he says, فَإِذَا رَكِبُوا فِي الْفُلْكِ 
That when a person rides on a ship, when a person is riding, you know, imagine when you're boarding on a plane and you're taking off and there's turbulence. You're outside, you're, you're not a pilot and you're not even in the pilot's chair. You can't do anything. So Allah gives the example in the Quran. You become the most sincere person when you enter onto the ship. Why? Because the ship is a position of complete and total helplessness. When you step on an airplane, you have nothing. You can't contribute anything. It doesn't matter how successful you are. You remember those people that went on that underwater exploration? Like all of them were, their net worth was greater than the GDP of some countries. But as they're in that state, and Allah only knows, right? Allah only knows what that was like exactly. But we can, we can imagine that as you're in that state, do you think the billions or the millions of dollars, do you think they all would have pulled it together so that they could have gotten out? Yes or no? In, in that moment when they realize that we are going to die, like there's no saving us, do you think they all, if, 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 if an angel or if they received a message that if you transfer all of your money this moment, you will be saved. Would they have done it? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. But all of their success, all of their wealth, nothing helped them. And Allah gives us these examples. You know, the whole world was watching that. that, that in t- I, was in, I was overseas. And I saw, like, these notifications on my phone. I forgot even the name of it. I don't want to, but, you know, I'm not making light of people's death. But the entirety of the world was so enamored that people who had more wealth than anyone could ever imagine... People who had more uh, resources than this entire room combined probably for the eternity of our lives, unless one of you makes it big. Don't forget me, okay? <laughs> People were helpless, and the world was in a weird state. We were almost like, like emotionally stuck. We couldn't quite understand that. How? How is it the case, right? They kept focusing on their wealth. They kept focusing on how much money these people had, because we often see that as a solution for problems, but... Not every time, not in every situation, okay? Now, the fourth thing that he mentions here is he says, He says, He says, the fourth benefit that a person experiences when they are tested with something is they experience what is called al-inaba. Inaba is a word in Arabic which kind of has multiple meanings, but one of the best ways and the most concise ways to translate it is that a person is able to turn back to Allah. It's similar to tawbah. Some scholars say that inaba and tawbah is like, uh, inaba is like a higher level of tawbah. Okay? So he says that when you're tested, when a person goes through a trial, one of the first things they do is they repent. True or false? Yes. Whenever anything is going bad and you're like not feeling it and you really want to get out, you're like, astaghfirullah. Astaghfirullah, Allah help me. Astaghfirullah, right? So he says, inaba. And he says that at that moment, you turn back to Allah and you almost try to cling back. You know, uh, yesterday, my daughter had, don't ask questions, she had coffee in her mouth. She loves coffee, like to a crazy amount. She drinks her mom's lattes like every single day. We have to make coffee, we have to hide it. She loves it, right? We don't give her a lot, but anytime my wife has coffee, she's like, can I have a sip? She takes a sip, okay? Even if it's not that sweet, she just loves it, subhanAllah. So my wife gave her a sip of coffee, 
and she was walking around the room with her mouth open. Yeah, exactly. You nailed that, Abbas. He was walk- she was walking around the room like this. Her mouth open, right? And I could see it. She's four years old. Like, this is a, not a circus act. Like, I know exactly what's going to happen next. And she was walking right next to a white couch. And I just look at her, and I'm like, is there even any point? Like, at this point, if I call her name, she gets scared, and then she sprays coffee everywhere. Or I, like, let it, I take the chance, and I let her go, and I see what happens, right? And her brother was playing and whatever, like, you know, he did something. She, you know, she stopped suddenly. The coffee, it's gravity, it's inertia. Like, she was walking, the coffee was moving. She stopped, the coffee kept going. So now on this couch, it's not just white, it's white and brown. And subhanAllah, look, she knew exactly what she did was wrong. Because she didn't try to clean up the coffee, what did she do? She looked at me. And I was the other direction. Because I had warned her earlier, I said, Mama, when you're drinking, please sit down. I don't want you to spill, I don't want you to have an accident. She says, okay, Baba, I won't spill, I won't spill. As soon as she spills, she does what? She doesn't look at the coffee, like, what's the most scientifically logical, rational thing to do in that moment. Go get some napkins, go get a paper towel, like try to clean it up, right? That's what like the next steps all include. But before she could get there, she had to do what? Inaba. She did inab. she was muniba. She turned to me and started crying. Baba, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And she came and she like clung on to me. And that's actually what inaba means in Arabic. That you don't just, you don't just like say sorry like casually, but it's almost like you're begging for forgiveness and you're clinging on and you're like, I'm not going to let go until I'm forgiven. So she came and she ran to me, she hugged me and she was crying, getting coffee on my thobe. And then I'm trying to get through her so I can clean it before the stain sets in. And I'm like, it's okay. She's like, no, it's not. You're mad at me. I'm like, facts. But, you know, like... <laughs> I'll, I'll get over it, you know, just let me clean. I'll be more mad if you don't let me clean the couch, right? So, inaba is that state when you realize that you need Allah. You turn into a person who's munib. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he, he, he mentions some verses in the Quran where he mentions the concept of being munib and how to become munib. And we'll talk about that, okay? So he says, وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ دُرٌ that when Allah Ta'ala just touches or grazes a person with difficulty, something that they don't like, that they become munib to him. Now, this brings up a very important question. How many of you have had the question or the thought in your mind that Allah Ta'ala gives you a test in your life because of a sin you committed or because of a sin you made? Have you guys ever heard that or thought that? I want you to understand something about this notion, this concept, okay? Number one is that Allah, let's first establish what we know about Allah. Okay, how does he describe himself? Finish the sentence. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Okay? Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Okay? Allah introduces himself as the most merciful. Multiple times. Every surah, except for surah Tawbah, every chapter... Begins with the Basmalah, which highlights Allah as the most merciful, most compassionate. That's number one. In Surah Al-Fatiha, which is the chapter you have to read in every prayer, Allah highlights His mercy again. Okay? 
Allah, number one, is the most merciful. He is not petty. He's not petty. You and I, we're petty. We are super petty, right? That's an admission right there. She just says, we are petty. Meaning what? If you do something wrong to me, then what do I do? What do I want? I want to get even. I want revenge. You know, I want revenge. I mean, look, we are all just old kids, man. Like when I look at my two kids interacting, I see us. That's the nafs that's inside of us. My kids, why are you, why'd you hit her? Because she hit me. Why'd you hit him? Because he doesn't play with me. Why did you play with her? Because she is boring, right? <laughs> Back and forth, petty, just petty. Think of the last word. Yesterday, <laughs> this is like just, you guys are just my therapists, <laughs> and I'm just a parent of two children. This happens to everybody, all right? I've seen it not only with my kids. I'm going to stop talking about my kids a little bit so that they don't look back on this 20 years and they're like, you're the worst dad. We were your, we were your content, right? It wasn't heart work. It was dad work. It was just talking about. No, I mean, this happens all the time. Any parents know what I'm talking about, right? The, the first hit, second hit, why'd you hit, all this, right? And if you remember your own childhood, maybe you had siblings or cousins or friends, same thing. It's interesting, subhanAllah, because... That first strike happens, and then the, when the second one's about to happen, if you catch the person who's trying to retaliate in the middle of it, their eyes, if you look, you're like, you don't have to do this. You know what I mean? It's like those movies where like, the villains like, got the guns, like, you don't have to do this. I'm trying to convince the second kid, like, you can be the winner here, right? But if you hit them back, I have to punish both of you. Right now, I'm only going to punish them, this one. But if you hit them back, you're both dead. And then, like, they look at me, and they're like, I know, but I have to. And then they just, you know, it all happens in, like, 2.3 seconds. That entire emotional interaction, I lower my head in shame, and I have to, you know. But the point being is what? The actual punishment or the mistake or this and that are not linear. With Allah, they're linear with us. We get even. We get back at each other. You wrong me, I wrong you. That's not how Allah works. Allah is too gracious and too majestic to operate like that. That's human. That's not holy. That's not godly. So then how do sins work with tests? Well, there's a few ways the scholars have talked about. Number one, when a person commits sins regularly with no toba, because everyone here commits sins, right? Raise your hand if you're sinless. Liar. Okay. <laughs> no one here is sinless. And when a person commits sins without toba, they're doing a few things. Number one is that they're opening their heart to the effects of the sin, which could feel like punishment. Okay. So the heart becomes jaded, the heart becomes dirty, the heart becomes rusted, and something that you normally could handle without any sort of uh, uh, you know, major affliction on your psyche or your emotions, maybe because of your distance from Allah, the heart is weak, your iman is weak, and that thing affects you more than it could have. So it's not that the thing is a punishment, that's just part of life. You're going to be tested. Like Allah said it, you're going to be tested. But some people's hearts are better equipped to handle tests. You know, one of my teachers said one time that sins and good deeds and all these things, like Allah tests everybody just the same. The difference between them is not that some people's lives are easy and some people's are hard. No, everyone gets tested. But he said the difference between people is their ability to handle the test. Everyone is riding in the ocean with waves, but is your boat strong enough to handle it? That's the real challenge. That's the real question. And so, number one is that when we commit sins, we're weakening the hearts. And we're making our heart weak. 
and we're making it unable to detect. You know, sometimes you see a test coming and you're able to prepare yourself, right? You're able to get yourself ready, reminding yourself, have trust in Allah. Your company announces that they're doing layoffs. What do you do? It depends. People respond differently. You know, some people get frozen with fear, right, which is normal. That's a human response. Everyone kind of pauses, okay? You start to look up, like, severance packet. Okay, what, how long do I have? What's my runway like? You start to maybe figure out, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, how, how likely you are to be laid off. Maybe you reach out to your colleagues, coworkers, people that you report to. You start asking, like, am I included in this round of layoffs or what? You start doing your research, you know, bargaining, and then you have the phase of acceptance. You start looking for other jobs, all of that. But the way in which you process through those stages is predicated upon the strength of your iman. Meaning that if a person's iman is weak, like they might just get stuck at stage one. And that's, by the way, like it's not, there's no allegations. Everyone here struggles. You know, you might just get stuck at stage one, like I don't even know. But a person who is close to Allah, when they see that email, they just say, okay, tawakkaltu ala Allah. Allah's got me. You know why? Because I wasn't always employed by this company. And just like Allah got me here before, he'll get me again. And in fact, he might even put me in a better situation. And how many times have you met somebody? How many times have you met people? You're probably in here right now where you were in a test and you had that fork in the road, trust or don't trust, and you trusted. And Allah rewarded your trust by giving you something greater than what you had. And you look back and you say, why did I even stress, man? How offensive is it? That I even stressed. And you don't want to offend Allah with bad manners. Right? Every friend that you trust, when they tell you, I got you, you could offend them deeply by being like, I don't believe you. Right? Hey, can you give me a ride tomorrow? Yeah. I don't know, man. That's kind of a, that's, that's low-key, that's like a bottom-tier friend thing to say. Like only bottom-tier friends say that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'll call an Uber just in case. You're really testing your relationship with that person. But if you really trust that person... Hey, you got me tomorrow? I got you. All right, man. I'm not even going to set an alarm. I'm going to wait for the doorbell. The person shows up. The completion of that trust, it just elevates your relationship. You feel so much appreciation. They feel so satisfied helping you. It's a win-win. Now think about your relationship with Allah. This is why the pious people, when they were tested, they would laugh. Because they would say, look at how, you know, Iblis's name is Iblis from Ablasa, which means to despair. Iblis wants you to give up. He wants you to despair. He wants you to be in a spot where you're like, Allah will never help me. So the pious people in these stories, some of these classical stories, they would laugh and they would say, look at how Iblis is trying to trick me. He's trying to make me like him. He gave up. I don't give up, Iblis. I'm not weak like you. I trust in my Allah and he'll take care of me. Right? So having that repentance cleans the heart. And he says, right, that when you return back to Allah and you repent, your heart starts to see things more clearly. You start to be able to process things differently. Let me share with you some quotes about the repentance element of this. How does repentance help? Uh, Ibn Atta'illah, he says that when a person is addicted and shackled to their desires, and those desires are in fact sinful, that shackling will hold them back from their journey to Allah. He says, Like every desire that I keep in my heart is actually holding me back. It's like you're trying to run to Allah and it's so frustrating because you see the straight path, you're even standing on it and you look ahead and you're like, I know that this is where I can be 
and you try to walk forward, but you can't walk forward if you're tied down. So part of the responsibility for you to walk forward is you have to cut some things out. You have to get rid of some things. You know, them, dhunub in Arabic, them means sin. You know what else it means? Dhunub, themb, tha, nun, ba, themb. Say it with me. Themb, themb. You know what it means? It means sin, but it also means tail. Like they talk about the themb of a, of a mouse is its tail. I know this is a little bit weird imagery, but if you want to get rid of the thing that's following you, because your sins follow you, you got to cut it off. And you have to cut it off with the what? The blade of tawbah, of inaba of returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, Another thing that's beautiful, sometimes we commit sins and we try to talk ourselves down. We're like, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Allah doesn't really care about that, does he? Like, it's not huge. It's only, I mean, it's okay. He says something so beautiful. He says, He says, there's no such thing as a small sin when you meet Allah's justice. Right? So in the Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala says what? That people will receive their books on that day, and they'll say what? That there is nothing missing from this book, small or large. Everything I've ever said is in this book. So Ibn Atallah, he's trying to like frighten everybody. He says, When Allah's justice is present on the Day of Judgment, don't think that a small sin will escape him. But then he matches it, listen. There's no such thing as a great sin when you, meet his, when you meet his favor and his mercy and his grace. So these statements are statements that are meant to encourage people to consider their actions, their statements, their repentance. Why? Because that's one of the things that Allah is doing by testing you. He's bringing you back to him. Another sign, min alamat mawt al-qalbi, from the sign that your heart has died altogether, is what? He says, he says that a sign that your heart has died is that you become so uh, callous and you don't care anymore about the sins that you made and you don't have any regret. You have no remorse over the sins that you've, commit, the, the sins that you've committed. Now, Inaba, going back to that statement, Right? He says, Al-inabatu ilallah, returning back to Allah. Ibn al-Qayyim says that there's four ways to do this. How do you accomplish this now that you understand the importance of repentance? He says, number one is you have to ask yourself four questions. Okay? There's four questions. The first question is, do I really love Allah? Do I really love Allah? Because many of us say we love people or love things, but we actually, our actions don't necessarily line up with that. So I could say that I love somebody, but in reality, like, you know, I don't. And just so I don't put anyone in, under pressure here, I'll tell you, like, I used to be a big, big football fan. I used to love watching football. So now whenever anyone asks me, like, are you a football fan? I'm like, yeah. They're like, who'd the Bears play this week? I'm like, oh, is the NFL season's on? I have no idea. My default response because of my, 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 who I was was like, yeah, I love football. But if you ask me, have you watched a game this year? I'd be like, I didn't even know the season started. All I know is that the Cowboys keep losing. Right? No, just joking, right? But that's a sign of my love not matching my, my words. My love is not present. If I, if I really loved football, then on Sunday, you wouldn't see me. On Sunday, on Monday night, you wouldn't see me. But I don't. So some of us say that we have a deep love for something, 
But our actions don't reflect that. I say that I have this friend that I love, but I don't check in with them. I say that I love my parents, but I might not call them as much as I should. I say, and again, these are not necessarily indi- uh, allegations, but they're indications. So it doesn't define you, but you have to really check yourself. I love Allah, but when's the last time like I actually woke up to pray to him? If I love Allah, then why do I rush so much when I'm praying? Why do I close my hands in du'a after 10 seconds? Is that how you treat somebody you love? When you love somebody, you don't want the conversation to end. You want to keep going. But if you don't love somebody, right, you don't want to have that conversation. You want to end it as soon as possible. You treat that relationship like a burden. So inaba, repentance, and it's crazy because think about it. You only return to the one that you love. So he said, he tests you because he wants you to be able to prove your love. That's step number one. And sometimes, sometimes, when your life is going really well, you forget who you really owe your love to. You forget. You know, you have all this success in the world and you forgot that it was your parents that really enabled that for you. And you look at your degrees and your job and your paycheck and your LinkedIn and you're like, man, so happy I met this person. They connected me with so-and-so and I got this position and da-da-da-da-da, right? You're getting married and someone else introduced you to your spouse and you're like, man, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be married. You know, someone hooked you up with a house that you were looking for. You're buying the house, you're closing. You're like, I got to text my friend because they're the one that sent me the link on Zillow. But you forget in the line of love who actually is the one that enabled all of this, right? Our parents, our people that were with us from day one, that took care of us, our families, right? The Prophet ﷺ, who gave us this blessing of Islam, of Iman, by guiding us, by giving his whole life to teach, and Allah Ta'ala who chose this messenger and gave us every blessing that we have. So inaba, if you're returning back to Allah, you got to ask yourself question number one. Do I actually love Allah? And hopefully the answer is yes. It's a reminder. Yes, I love Allah. Okay, what's question number two? Do I submit to him? Am I actually submitting to Allah or am I not? Right? And the Prophet ﷺ said that there is no way that a person can be more demonstrative of their submission to Allah than by the five prayers. Allah prefers that. That's the only thing that Allah sequentially told us he prefers, is he prefers everyone to take their prayers. You know, everyone has a love language. You guys ever read that book, The Love Languages? You guys know what your love language is? What's your love language? Gifts. All right. What else? Affirmation. Okay, words of affirmation. Quality time. Who likes quality time? Who's like a physical touch? Who's the huggy friend? Always hugs. A little bit too long. All right? Let me give you, if you're a physical touch, just hug half the amount you feel normal, and then I'll be fine. Okay? I'm a physical touch guy, by the way. I'm always like, I was at the TSA, and the guy was like, excuse me, sir. And I'm like, yeah, put my arm around him. And he's like, don't touch me. And I was like, sorry. I'm like, love language, right? Allah has a love language. Allah has a love language. It's salah. That's what Allah prefers. You know, many people try to thank Allah in different ways, but Allah's preferred method of thanking is praying. As salah. Submit to Allah. The best way you can show your submission to Allah 
is when the time for prayer comes, you, you tell your nafs and you proclaim to Allah, oh Allah, nothing right now is more important than you. Nothing. At Fajr, sleep is not more important than you. At Dhuhr, work, lunch, whatever, not more important than you. Asr, Maghrib, getting home, beating traffic, not more important than you. At Isha, socializing, eating dinner, sleeping, not more important than you. Oh Allah, you're the most important one. I submit to you. Number three, right? So the three questions or four questions. Number one is, do I love him? Number two is, do I submit? Number three, when I'm in a time of crisis or in a time of providence, good or bad, do I turn to Allah? Who do I turn to first? Ibn al-Qayyim says that one of the ways that you know that you are munib, that you are turning back to Allah, that you run back to him, is that no matter what, Allah's name is the first one off of your lips. So, Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, SubhanAllah, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah, you know, Hasbunallah wa ni'mal What are we seeing from the people of Gaza right now? We're seeing videos that amidst tragedy that we can't imagine, and there's tears, and there's screaming, and there's, it's chaos. But amidst all of that, what are they meeting their reactions with? They're meeting it with what? The name of Allah. At any point, at any time. That is a sign of inaba, that they're running back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fourth sign is, am I able to turn away from everything else? As I turn to Allah, I turn away from everything else. I want you to think about this example, right? If I'm showing somebody that I'm, I'm all in with them, how was the Prophet wasallam? how was he described? One of the ways that they described him was they said that whenever he was talking to somebody, he turned his entire body toward that person. Because it's like a symbol of what? Focus, respect, attention, all the above. Love, care, all of it. So how many of us, when we turn to Allah, it's like turning our neck like this, right? So like I'm doing something and I'm like, okay, I got to pray real quick. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. That's kind of what it's like. Like, do I have will do? I think so. You know what I mean? How many of us are going for vacation? We're like, do I have my passport? I think so. No, you don't. You go and look four times. Because why? You want that vacation. Do I have will do? Maybe. I'll, you know what? 50-50. I like those chances. Allah is a Rahman Rahim. That guy at Heartwork said it. Right? Allah doesn't need water. He doesn't need me to pray. He doesn't need anything, actually. He doesn't need anything. But these are the ways that you accomplish this, this goal. Right? So when I submit to Allah, when I turn to Him, have I also at the same time turned away from everything else? You can't be in two places at the same time. When you're driving and you have to make a very important turn or catch an exit, what do you do? Turn down whatever you're listening to. Tell everyone in the car to chup. Right? Skut. Be quiet. Shut your mouth. I have to find this exit. If I miss it in Dallas, we're adding 27 minutes to this car ride. Okay? Because why? Because when you are turned towards something, you are all in. And that's Unfortunately, sometimes the reason why these tests happen to us is because Allah has given us a lot of time to turn towards Him and go all in, and we just haven't gotten there. And so the distractions that we have in our life, Allah Ta'ala will sometimes remove them from us in order so that we can be separated from the things that are holding us back from Him. And in that moment, we feel what it's like to fully be turned towards Allah, 
Like when you're spending time with people you love and you know you love them and you remind yourself that you love them, but your phone is distracting you and then your phone dies. And then subhanAllah, your phone dies, all the distractions are gone, you're enjoying the conversation, you guys are catching up on old memories, you're making new connections, and then by the end of the night, you're like, why did this conversation feel so fulfilling? It's because I wasn't distracted. Many of us wonder, why is my iman, why does it not feel so fulfilled? It's because we live as believers that are distracted from Allah. We believe in Him and we love Him and we want to get close to Him, but the distractions are so difficult and so present. And shaitan has made it his life's goal to distract us. And so there is a lot of temptation out there. So Allah Ta'ala occasionally will send a trial or a test your way in order to wake you up and bring you back to Him. Let me give you something from the book that I wrote, the, this, this piece that I wrote for this book. I wrote that the heart turns to Allah in different ways, with love, with humility, and with brokenness. The mind returns by acting upon the commands of the loved one, surrendering to them and giving them authority over everything. There remains no doubt or suspicion about that moment with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The nafs returns obediently by following the commands. So once you submit, then you start to see that your behavior starts to get better. Once you submit, you start to realize that your behavior starts to improve. Instead of going against him, now you start to enjoy following him. The obedience becomes sweet. And you surrender to him. Eventually, you don't even have any opinions anymore about what is good or bad. You just want Allah. Think of Ramadan. Ramadan, you hand over everything. If you or I were the ones who had to decide Ramadan, would you really make it fasting from dawn till sunset? Be honest. You're like in the winter, right? But if you had to, would you? No. If you had to design Islam, would you make it five times a day, daily prayer? Would your nafs want that? Your nafs would say, you know what? I think one's good. Allah is one, prayer is one, sounds good. Easy math, right? Hajj. Maybe we can all make hajj. Maybe we can have multiple hajj in, across the world. Make it easy. You know, that way it's not limited. People, we, if it was up to us, right? Allah, Allah actually, he doesn't, he doesn't give that example to the extent I just did, but he says this. He says, if the Prophet وسلم, were to follow you, you would actually, he, you would hate it. You would, you would design and develop a religion that was so senseless and out of whack that no one would want to follow it. But part of the reason why we love submitting to this deen is because when we do it, it feels unlike anything that this dunya can give us. You tell me, you tell me, on the 27th night of Ramadan when the masjid is packed and you, have, you didn't make it in time and you put your forehead on the ground in the parking lot outside, you tell me that there is anything else in the world that could force you to do that. Put your face on the ground where people's feet were. You tell me. People paying thousands of dollars to go fly, spend 21 hours traveling so they can go to Mecca and make Umrah. Is there anything else that you would pay that amount of money for? Stay in hotels, go through really, really difficult moments, holding yourself back so that you can go and walk seven times around a structure? Nothing can get you to do that. 
That's what submission looks like. And we do that, subhanAllah, because the feeling of sweetness to submitting to Allah, nothing else can replace that. Nothing. Now, Al-Izbun Abdul Salam, he continues, and he says that inaba, he goes to the next one, which is ad-du'a. As a result of inaba, so let's go through the steps together. We're almost done. Ma'rifa of Allah. You know Allah, you know yourself. That's one and two. Then you have sincerity. Okay, now I want to actually be real with Allah. I want to actually have sincerity. And then the fourth one is what? You turn back to him. So the test is in your life, and now you're running back to Allah. I mean, how many people through the difficulties of their life have decided that this is the moment I need to become better with Allah? I can't keep living in this delusion that I've been living in. And as a result of that, you start making du'a. And he says, ad-du'a wa tadarwa. Ad-tadarwa wa du'a. Du'a is obviously supplicating. Tadarwa means what? It means to like beg and plead. Allah Ta'ala says, فَإِذَا مَسَ الْإِنسَانَ دُرٌ دَعَانَا That whenever, Allah whenever people are touched with a difficulty, they call upon uh, uh, us. Then Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِذَا مَسَّكُمَ الدُرٌ فِي الْبَحْرِ Right, this is the example. You're tested with a trial in the sea, in the ocean. Your boat gets flipped over. You get shipwrecked. He says what? He says that nothing can save you, nothing can help you, except, right, the ones that you're calling upon cannot save you. Only Allah is the one that can save you in that moment. And then he continues. He says, say, who can save you from the darknesses of the earth and the ocean except for him? You call upon him humbly begging and softly pleading to him. You know, there's a verse of, of these verses in the Quran. One of them kind of expands and goes on to talk about that when a person is in a trial, they call upon Allah. But then when Allah removes the trial... So they submit, they do inaba, but then when Allah removes the trial, what happens? You tell me, guys. When times are tough, what do we do? We ask Allah, we pray. And then Allah takes away the trial, and we're like, what? Now back to your regular scheduled programming. I'm going to go back to who I am, who I was. Sometimes we don't learn, and we return back to that moment. So in the verse that talks about that, I want you to imagine. Think of turbulence on a plane. How many of you are already scared of flying in a smooth flight? Okay, now when turbulence happens, what happens to you? You lose your wudu, right? <laughs> yeah. When turbulence happens, what? There's crying, there's holding on, right? As if this is going to stop anything, right? <laughs> I always laugh when people go like this. I'm like, that's not helping the plane stay up, right? Like, you know, the, the white knuckles on the, on the rest. There's all these things. And subhanAllah, in that moment, you realize your helplessness. So you start to do what? You're like, oh Allah, please. Oh Allah, please. Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. You know, uh, you start reading the dua that Allah, please protect me, please protect me. Allahumma fazna, Allahumma fazna. You start reading. And then subhanAllah, you, 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 you turn off whatever haram thing you were watching. You're like, okay, I'm not going to do it. I promise Allah. Like, I don't care. I know everyone said it was a great series, but you're better Allah. I promise. You turn off the haram stuff. And you're like, you're like, did I pray? Let me pray quickly. Do I have wudu? Let me make tayammum, you know. And 
You just try to get everything done. And then, right, after that turbulence is done, subhanAllah, you go back into like smooth sailing, smooth flying. And you like open the iPad back up. <laughs> put your AirPods back in and you're like, okay, you know, I'll just finish this episode. I'll look away. Right? That's what the Quran tells us. And Allah made us. Does he not know you? He created you. He knows that we have this very quick memory, this loss of uh, short-term memory, subhanAllah. And so one of the mufassir, he said something very beautiful. He said, isn't it strange that in the verse about the person drowning and they call out to Allah to save them, that Allah Ta'ala, when he saves them and they forget about him, he says, isn't it strange that they were more in need of Allah on land than they were in the ocean. When they thought they were dying, they called upon him and they thought, this is the moment I need Allah the most. But the Mufassir said, in that moment, this person was so aligned with their Iman that actually when they forgot about Allah on the land, that's when they actually needed to beg Allah the most. So the, per the Mufassir wrote, this person was in, better, in a better state when they were drowning than they are now that they're safe. And that's what a fitna is. You know, that's what a fitna is. When Allah gives you a fitna in your life, sometimes in the fitna you're better as a person than you were when things were fine. You pray more, you make more dua, you treat people better. The next thing he's going to talk about, we'll go over this, you start to have more empathy for people that went through the fitna. Right? How many brothers and sisters do we see in our community that have been divorced? And when they get divorced, people have these wild speculations. Oh, how, why, this, I knew, blah, 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 whatever. Then this person gets married and they get divorced. After saying all of that. And they realize, subhanAllah, and who comes to console them? The one who they spoke about. The one who they thought they knew everything, why it didn't work out. And that person comes or messages them and says, hey, you know what? I've been there. And if you need to talk, I'm here for you. After all of the speculation. So sometimes a fitna, Allah puts it in your life so that you can become a rahmah for somebody else. Like you went through it and it sucked. But now you've come out the other side and you're better for it. And now you see somebody behind you, right? You're a little bit further along. You see someone behind you, you're like, dang, they're going through it too. I'm going to wait here for them. And when they get here, I'll be here for them. And your rahmah for them now becomes what? A purpose for the fitna. What's the name of the series? Finding what? Meaning in trials. Each one of these suggestions from Al-Iz bin Abdul Salam is just a way for you to find meaning. It's a way for you to find me. Right now, Nobody in this room has any clue about the true meaning of why what is happening in Gaza is happening. Nobody. Nobody can say this is exactly why it's happening. So what do we do? We see it, we grieve, some weep, we pray, but we realize in order to help ourselves cope that Allah is giving something to these people that we cannot detect. But the videos that we see now, the screens and the recordings and the pictures and the videos, they are giving us small glimpses into perhaps some of the beautiful silver linings that are only found in this place. That they're able to, subhanAllah, there is a, 
there's a hadith that I read. I sent it to Sheikh Abdel Nasser, and I almost, I was sitting in, in, in the Bay Area, surrounded by everyone who works at Meta. <laughs> and I was at this event, and I read this hadith, and I started crying, which, if you know me, is not a big deal. <laughs> this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ is narrating it on behalf of Allah, which is called the Hadith Qudsi. And he says, here, let me pull it up. It's actually on my, it's actually on my screen right now. He says, When one of the children of the servants of Allah passes away, Allah asks the angels, okay, so this is after the child has passed away. I want you to just think in your head about all of the stories, maybe images and videos you've seen. Allah Ta'ala asks the angels, did you take the, 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 the child of my servant? The angels say yes. Listen to what Allah asks next. Allah Ta'ala says, Did you take the, the fruit of his heart? You, you've taken the, the sweetness of his heart, the sweetness of his life. The angels say, Yes, Ya Allah. So Allah Ta'ala says, In that moment that you took the thamratu fu'adihi, you took the sweetness of their heart, what did they say? The angels respond to Allah. Hamidaka wastarja'a. They praised you. They said, Alhamdulillah. And they said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. They praised you and they reminded themselves that they are returning and everyone's returning back to you. Fayaqulu Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala responds back to this person. He says, Abnu li abdi baytan fil jannah. I want you to build the most incredible home for my servant, the one who lost their child and still had the strength to say, Alhamdulillah, O Mala'ika, build for this person a beautiful home, a mansion in paradise. And I want you, this, this, this subdivision, this zip code is not for everybody. This is for a very special group of people. It's going to be called the house of praise. Because the people who live here in this area have lost something that nobody imagines when they have them that they will lose them. And in that moment that Allah put that test in their life, their response was not to turn away, but to what? To run back to Allah. They literally said it with their words, Alhamdulillah, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. What are we seeing on our phones, guys? You know, I read this hadith a long time ago, when I was like a kid. And I remember thinking to myself, I'll never see this. I probably have seen this hadith in action 100 times on my phone the last week. We're seeing people, guys, we're seeing people that because of the tests that Allah has given to them, 
and their response to the test that they have, they are building and call, they don't have homes in Gaza anymore, but wallahi, their mansions are being built by angels right now. And Allah Ta'ala promises us this, and this is an example of what happens when people receive the test of Allah and they respond in a way that is absolutely heroic, is at, at, at another level. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be from those people. That when He tests them, that we respond in a beautiful way. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to give us the strength and the ability that when we are tested, that we don't turn away from Him, but we turn towards Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability that when we are tested, we respond by being patient, and we respond by being uh, sincere, and we respond by turning to Allah. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala that when we are touched with any difficulty in our life, that we reaffirm our love for Him alone, and we reaffirm our turning to Him, and we reaffirm our submission to Him, and we reaffirm our connection to Him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to let every moment in our life be a moment that prepares our heart for any trial that befalls us. We ask Allah ta'ala that when that moment comes, that we pass the test and that we don't fail it. And that we are able to have those moments where we think back to ourselves at all of the trials that we had and how those trials brought us closer to Allah and that we do not go further away from Him as a result of them. Ameen, ameen. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل محمد سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك